0: This podcast is sponsored by OAG. With the world's largest network of air travel data, OAG provides the most comprehensive, accurate flight schedule and flight status information from one trusted source. Explore our industry leading data for airlines at
1: OAG.com. Canada has some significant macroeconomic challenges in that it's enduring an oil bust and a weakened currency. But its airlines are nonetheless hanging in there, and it's all made for an interesting story. Seth, in one word, how would you describe the current condition of Canada's airline market? Buoyant. Ah, good one. Surviving, certainly not foundering. To put some numbers to it, Air Canada's second quarter earnings report resulted in an 8% operating margin. WestJet's operating margin was 6%. Those numbers are somewhat disappointing in a vacuum, but when you consider Canada's economic issues things are surprisingly good in the airline industry. I'm Jason Cottrell, Vice President of Airline Weekly, and joining me is a man who we all know is not prone to one-word answers, Seth Kaplan, <laughs> Managing Partner of Airline Weekly. We're going to discuss the health of Canada's airline market. We'll also do the same for Mexico, now that all those carriers have reported. Plus, we'll check in on El Al, Aeroflot, and It's always fun to see how much of the world we can fit into the Airline Weekly Lounge. We're discussing Canada's airline market and despite a lackluster economy, the airlines are keeping their heads above water. Seth, we've talked about the increasing internationalization of Canada's airline market before. Is that the driving force here? Well it's certainly the driving
0: force behind the growth. If you look at the, both of the big airlines, Air Canada and, and West and do the math, but if, they, if you'd slash the international growth, they're they're you know both probably barely growing at all. You know, whether it's the driving force of the relatively decent performance in in light of everything that's going on is is, is harder to say. Uh, you know, of course, they both say all the new stuff is off to a great start, but yeah, you know, something's pulling down the margins. Uh, you know, probably some combination of just the fact that anything new, immature markets tends to be tougher than, than things that have uh, grown into their own, and the fact uh, that that yeah, they're they're dealing domestically with with uh, the, the things that you mentioned. Namely, the oil bust and, and and the falling currency, which which which, which by the way are, are linked. You know, it's uh, those aren't two separate issues. Uh, you know, if you look around the world, at places with falling currencies, uh, you know, a, a lot of them tend to be commodity heavy economies, and in many cases, oil heavy economies. And yeah, Canada, has, Western Canada especially, um, uh, is is a a petro economy. So uh, so they're dealing with that. There's domestic issues, but there are also issues for. Uh, selling international tickets to Canadian point of sale to Canadians uh, because the rest of the world is just just more expensive once you get there uh, for people who are, are spending weaker currencies. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's uh, you know, they're looking abroad. It, you know, they being Air Canada, WestJet, you know, seem bullish anyway on on, on, on all of that. But, it, it you know, something's not doing as well as, as things used to be doing. And uh, and Transat, in fact, which reported
1: more recently, uh, you know, they're, they're feeling some pressure from, from uh, all, all this new capacity. And how much is being adjacent to the hot U.S. market helping Canadian carriers? Yeah, I mean, look, in terms of revenue opportunities, you'd always like to be,
0: uh, you know, near somewhere where, where, where people are doing okay. And, and in fact, the U.S. economy is doing, you know, relatively okay compared to economies around the world. You know, again, Harder to sell tickets to Canadians, you know, let's say who, who want to travel to the U.S. only because uh, they are relatively poor when their when their uh, economy is weak. And by the way, it's off its lows. Or I should say when their currency is weak, uh, off its lows though. So um, so that's hard. But um, but you know, on the other hand, Canada is is on sale for uh, for U.S. travelers. It's it's uh, it's you know about as affordable as it's been in a lot of years. And, and not only that, but in terms of uh, you know, sixth freedom flying, in other words, people connecting, and it's true anywhere, connecting in one country who are uh, not stopping in that country at all, but connecting between two other countries. Air Canada has been playing this game for years. They're very good at it. Uh, but right now, especially, uh, it, it's it's a good time to be selling tickets to Americans who are willing to uh, connect in Toronto, Montreal, or Vancouver on their way to Europe, on their way to Asia, you know, not not much Air Canada can do about the fact that its costs are inflated when its home currency is weak. You know, in other words, uh, you know, falling fuel prices in U.S. dollar terms. Well, they're not falling as much and in Canadian dollar terms uh, when when the Canadian dollar is weak. Aircraft leases and uh, you, you know th- th- there are other U.S. dollar denominated costs that become more expensive when you are trading in a weak currency, but at least when you're able to offset some of that with uh, with U.S. dollar revenue, which Canadian carriers are better positioned to do than a lot of carriers around
1: the world, uh, that's certainly very helpful. As I mentioned, Air Canada posted an 8% operating margin in Q2. That was down from 9% the year before. Is that good news or bad news?
0: Uh, well, I mean, that down is not good news.
1: But you know what I mean.
0: Yeah. Right. Uh, it, yeah, I mean, look, it, it's again in the face of all those challenges, and, and not not just that. I mean, there were there was awful fires in Fort McMurray that you know, closed the airport for a while. Uh, I mean, WestJet had to deal with that too. But when you look at uh, everything that it's facing, you have to be impressed that it is. I think you said before, keeping its head above water, uh, as as well as it is big difference between Canada and the u.s is that uh, you know although demand is not growing in in Canada um, uh, you know it's pro- probably even as much as it's growing in the us capacity is growing you know these airlines are are expanding at, at, a, uh, at a at a rather rapid clip you know' they're Canada they're they're ASK capacity in in the second quarter of LC kilometers up 11% compared to a year earlier. I mean if you look at American Delta and United these are airlines that are barely barely growing at this point. So big difference there uh which which might seem surprising in in the face of the fact that as I said you know demand if anything uh, you know even more tepid in Canada but um, you know basically they're they're playing the unit cost game you know Air Canada WestJet know that when you grow um you do hammer down your unit costs you know, they, they're they calculating that um, that the benefit of that uh, is greater than the cost, which is the fact that your unit revenues also decline as, as, as you're growing. You know, they just uh, both think that there are all kinds of new market opportunities for them. And, uh, you know, in Air Canada's case, they have a lot of interesting long haul flying, both mainline and uh, their, their low cost rouge route. Uh, and so then... Uh, they like to pair that with a lot of feed, and so uh, you know they, they've they've started a, a lot of flying into the U.S. Uh, to to uh, to take advantage of, of what I just described before uh, the relatively strong U.S. dollar. So so they've added a lot of routes there to feed the big international network. You know, considering how much growth there is, and the fact that you know just new markets are always tricky to begin with, and everything that's
1: going on in Canada, I'd say that's that's rather impressive that they've they've held up as well as they have. Things were more disappointing for WestJet, only a six percent margin, down from eleven percent the year prior. What's gone wrong there? Yeah, that, that's that's you're
0: quite a big decline, uh, obviously. And and here we have um, the first time in memory where, uh, really, for more than just uh, you know kind of a random quarter, somewhere or another, um, you know, WestJet uh, doing doing worse. I don't want to say consistently, but at least not not clearly the more profitable airline uh, than, than Air Canada on an ongoing basis. Well, a couple things, you know, look, WestJet is, to be clear, uh, well, let's look at that first syllable and it's named West. Um, I, I think a lot of us, including those of us who follow the industry very closely, uh, sort of if we just, just think about it without without analyzing it too deeply, now kind of think as West of WestJet as a, a pan-Canadian airline. I think you and I have talked about this some um, in prior quarters uh, we think of it as yeah they started in the West you know Calgary being their headquarter city and their and their uh, their first base uh, but now they're everywhere in Canada and although that's true uh, the reality is that up until not too long ago Calgary w- was still their biggest base uh, so they skewed much more heavily to toward those markets that had become more difficult because of the oil bust you know Calgary Edmonton and elsewhere they've now rebalanced that wisely i mean they've realized that, that there's other markets that are under pressure but when you try to very quickly reorient your airline uh you know toward other kinds of flying it's hard to quickly do that without suffering from the fact that well back to something else i just said a minute ago that immature markets just usually take time uh you know it's hard to just take all that first of all be growing as quickly as they're growing overall so you have just you know you just have um Planes looking for homes, got to send them somewhere. To it's going to be new markets, and then and then not only that, take all that capacity out of Calgary and elsewhere, and and, uh, send it to Toronto, Vancouver, and places where demand is higher. Hard to do all that and not have some kind of uh, margin deterioration. On top of that, they do have. Uh, you know all that new international flying, including now wide-body flying for the first time ever, uh, which has been um, operationally tricky. You know, not 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 the most uh, reliable operation. Um, so you know they they sort of chalk up the challenges to, to that. Uh, you know, commercially we'll, we'll have to see in the long term. Uh, they're still developing Encore. It's their turboprop uh, unit at the other end of the scale. So you know, it's a much more complex airline than it than it once was. You know, they seem to feel like all that. Cost and complexity is, is is worth it in in terms of the uh, the revenue that it can it can generate that that's. Kind of always the (laughs) trade-off when you you accept those those kinds of things. uh, The revenue better be there because the costs uh, certainly are there. And so you know probably need another several quarters to to be able to say for sure whether you know uh, is is this the I hate to use the term the new normal. uh, You know for WestJet that they're just no longer among the world's more profitable airlines on an ongoing basis as as they as they long were, uh, or is this a blip and will they again? be atop the profitability charts, uh, e- even as today, to be clear, they're not you know, struggling to
1: survive or anything like that. They're, they're fine, but just uh, no, no longer the profitability standout that they once were. Moving on to some of the smaller airlines, Jazz posted an 11 percent operating margin in Q2. That's obviously much better than Air Canada and WestJet.
0: It is, uh, you know, it's different from uh, in, in the U.S. Nowadays, this used to be commonplace that the that the regional airlines, the partners that uh, uh, flew smaller jets on behalf of the mainline carriers in the U.S. for a long time, did better than the mainline carriers themselves. Uh, you know, it was good to not be exposed to just a lot of things that the mainline carriers are exposed to, fuel costs and and uh, the you know just just sort of strategic issues. You just fly the plane where they tell you to fly it, and they pay. You by the hour for doing it, you know that's no longer the case in the U.S. Uh, Republic, of course, uh, you know, had to file for bankruptcy. Uh, Skywest doing better, in Republic, but you know not 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 an airline that's doing better. It's mainly like partners anymore, but Jazz is in fact in that situation. They went through a, a really rough period for a while. Jazz flies mostly on uh, on behalf of Air Canada. I mean, it's mainly what they do is Air Canada branded service on, on smaller jets. Q400 turboprops, for that matter. So, yeah, they they had some contractual issues with Air Canada. That's all now kind of ironed out uh, in, in a way that th- apparently works well for both carriers. And uh, so, yeah, they, they've just sort of been um, now working on lowering costs, their labor costs, you know, try, trying to use voluntary retirement schemes to get some more senior workers to retire and all
1: that. And it uh,
0: seems to be uh, going well, well enough, by the way, that they've uh, bought some more jets, some more uh, CRJ 900s.
1: And one airline we've rarely mentioned on the show, if ever, Porter, the turboprop carrier out of Toronto. During the oil price boom, they were, of course, doing great because being a turboprop carrier, you have a huge cost advantage when oil was above $100 a barrel. But what have the last few years been like for Porter?
0: Well, they've been frustrating. Uh, you know, for, for one thing, they really wanted to be able to fly uh, C-Series jets, uh, Bombardier C-Series jets from... The Island Airport in uh, Toronto, it's called Bishop Airport, to all over Canada. They felt, felt that that would give them a huge advantage. It's this airport that's very well located. Uh, you, know, you, you walk to your downtown hotel. Parenthetically, I'm actually excited. I'm flying them for the first time next month. I have to go up to Toronto, and I bought uh, a ticket one-way anyway on, on uh, Porter uh, just to get to experience that, just kind of walking through the tunnel into uh, into downtown Toronto. Yeah, so, so they, they, they haven't been able to do that. Um, they've just been unsuccessful, basically, in lobbying to, to, for uh, something other than turboprops to be allowed to, to fly uh, uh, to and from that airport. Uh, you know, of course, I mentioned before, WestJet is in the turboprop game now, too, uh, with, with, the, with its own Q400s, which are the only thing that Porter flies you know and then just everything that's happened in 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 the world i mean they're they're lucky to basically be focused on on the eastern part of the country you'd rather be there certainly than out west for the reasons we discussed before years back uh, they wanted to do an IPO and then you know everything deteriorated and they never managed to do that first of all it's hard to say exactly because they don't report earnings exactly how they're doing obviously they're in there. They're, they're still around after all these years. Yeah, you know, uh, the, hard, hard to say that things have gone as, as well as they had hoped, um, certainly, at least in terms of their growth opportunities, unless and until they're able to, uh, you know, to, to go ahead and take those C-series jets and be able to fly uh, longer distances from Toronto.
1: Okay, last question about Canada. Uh, what about startups like New Leaf? Is this a big concern for, say, WestJet or Air Canada?
0: Uh, yeah, so New Leaf is, is is an ultra low cost carrier. Actually, two or three of these that have did one its New Leaf is is the the first to actually be doing it. You might say an Allegiant like airline in the sense that what they're uh, going to be doing is 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 flying from uh, at least the first a smaller cities in Canada across the U.S. border to uh, to, to bigger cities in the U.S. Uh, that sort of thing. This is new for Canada, um, you know, notoriously high cost market um, because of airport costs and so forth. But, uh, you know, high fare environment. And yeah, New Leaf thinks that there's room to come in and, and uh, do successfully what has been done uh, by ultra low cost carriers all around the world successfully. And um, uh, yeah, I mean, look, if, if if they if they manage to, first of all, shift some share uh, people who right now from the smaller cities are, you know, paying a lot of money and connecting uh, you know, over other hubs like, like Toronto and so forth you know that that would of course be be uh, be a threat to Air Canada and, and WestJet. Uh, you know I mean in in all likelihood some of what they'll be doing is just stimulating new demand, you know people who just might not have have flown at all in the same way that other ultra low cost carriers in, in the US all, and elsewhere have done that. But uh, yeah to to the extent that they put downward pressure on fares, uh, shift business from those other airlines especially in an environment like the one we've just talked about where and not not the most you know Demand-rich environment ever. Sure, it's uh, it is it is uh, a threat, and uh, you yeah, if any other ULCCs get off the ground, that 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 would insert uh, be even more of a threat.
1: All right, let's move from Canada to a similar story of mixed success, and that is the Mexican carriers. Seth, I'll start with some of the same questions I asked about the Canadian carriers. How healthy is the Mexican airline market? How much does being adjacent to the U.S. matter there, and how much does the peso matter, and how does the second quarter historically fare for Mexican carriers? Well, I guess for the first few, uh, we could say just rewind the show and listen to yeah.
0: it. Well, no, I mean that's why just, I, that's why I put them all together. Yeah, no, I mean there's a little more nuanced than that. Obviously, kind of the same story, right? It, 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 you know, most of those carriers have seen their margins deteriorate just a little bit, um, with exceptions though. You know, and, and hard to not have that happen with, you know, with the peso at points in in uh, in, uh, in free fall. So basically, in Mexico, I mean, you've got you know, sort of four noteworthy carriers, four carriers of size: Aeromexico, the legacy carrier, you know, the global carrier, and then then uh, three low cost carriers: Interjet, uh, Volaris, and, and Viva Aerobus. Generally speaking, it's it's uh, it's it's been tough. And uh, but being next to the U.S. is is helpful from a uh, from a revenue perspective. uh, You know, I mean, look, first of all, Mexico is a very good deal for uh, uh, for U.S. travelers right now. So at least there's there's that. These are airlines that would uh, hope to have had a better second quarter than than they uh, than they had
1: let's talk about those individual carriers i'll start with viva aerobus not because they're the biggest airline they certainly aren't but they did have the biggest profit margin at nine percent
0: yeah actually the smallest of the four uh and by some margin um you know very roughly speaking interjet and volaris are kind of similarly sized uh carriers although they're not, not similar business models viva aerobus is, is uh you know is an ultra low-cost carrier um, you know, one thing that's interesting about Mexico is that you very much have sort of the, the, the two big ultra low cost money backers in, in, in the world, the money people. So there's basically there's, there's, there's two of them. Irlandia Aviation, that's, it's, that's you know, the Ryan family of Ryanair fame and others, and uh, Indigo Partners based in Arizona in the US. You know, those two back most of the ultra low cost carriers in the world. You know, in Mexico, it's it's uh, Viva, backed by partly at least by by Irlandia, and uh, Volaris, backed partly by uh, by Indigo Partners, going uh, going at each other. Um, but yeah, no, Viva is is uh, is is doing very well, growing very rapidly, and uh, and yet managing to to grow their revenues along with the uh, the capacity, and then that's that's why they're doing so well. So. You know, kind of different from what we described before with uh, you know Canada, where they're just having a hard time, not suffering pretty big unit revenue declines when they're uh, when the capacity growth is there. Viva Airbus, uh, by all accounts and appearances, not suffering that. You add it all up, basically, Jason. You know, for the second quarter, their revenue increased forty-two percent on on you know a lot a lot of capacity growth. Uh, their costs increased just twenty-nine percent, and when your revenues are increasing faster than your costs. Uh, guess what happens? You're
1: becoming more profitable. Also profitable was Volaris with an
0: 8% margin. Yes, you see their they're, they're neck and neck here. Uh, Volaris is much bigger at this point. Uh, that 8% actually a, a slight decline from 9% uh, a year earlier. And partly, by the way, Jason, and, and this is true of all of them in terms of you know why the Second quarter this year was was a little worse. Easter was a first quarter event this year, uh, you know, rather than a, uh, a, a second quarter event last year. So you know, that 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 kind of you know when you see sort of fractional to one point uh, margin declines that, that that explains uh, most of it. Valaris is is uh, doing fine. Those in terms of profit margin, Viva and Valaris are the uh, are the two standouts. Uh, you know with at least these margins in the. Uh, in the high single digits, Volaris uh, distinguishes itself aside from the ultra low cost model by flying very aggressively to the U.S. A lot of transborder business. Uh, you know, they had not all their routes have worked. Um, they've they've been uh, into and out of a few of them. But um, whereas uh, you know Interjet's been very uh, you, know, you want to talk about them next, but um, you know, been very shy about that. Vive has kind of gone into and out of a few of them. Hasn't you know re- seemed to have too much success in the U.S. in general uh volaris uh has they by the way very excited about the new uh, mexico u.s uh, open skies deal or anyway something that's a lot like open skies some, some people do do quibble with the uh the terminology because there are a few exceptions but um anyway a greatly liberalized uh regime in terms of being able to you know if you're a mexican airline do whatever you want pretty much in terms of flying to the u.s and same for the u.s carriers flying to mexico at least in terms of the the, the passenger airlines more on the cargo side where there
1: are a few exceptions Back to Interjet, they just they posted just a four percent margin. That's about half of Valaris and Viva's results, obviously. Um, so they're sort of the more upmarket, uh, low cost carrier. You
0: know, what do they do different from the other two? Well, I mentioned that they don't fly a whole lot to the U.S., but I mean that's true also of, of, of Viva, which is doing very well. Interjet, uh, much lower seat density, just far fewer seats on the plane, a much more bundled product, less focus on on, uh, on ancillaries uh they have two fleet types they uh along with their their a320s which of course are very common among low-cost carriers have these russian-built super jets and they're really pretty much alone among you know western carriers in terms of having uh these these uh super jet these ssj 100s in their in their fleet so uh yeah so a lot, a lot of complexity associated with that you know but that, at least broadly speaking apparently not the uh not the revenue to, uh, to show for it. So um, so we'll see. You know, ultimately, whether they play around with some more you know, densification and just adding seats to the plane and unbundling the product, those are things that, that just seem to work well for most airlines that try it. But for they, for now, continue believing that um, distinguishing themselves by not doing those things uh, is, is the winning strategy for them.
1: And bringing up the rear in the second quarter was Aeromexico with just a 3% operating margin. What is ailing that airline? Well, I mean, look, they're exposed to everything around the world. Uh, so at home, they've got
0: uh, all these these you know, low-cost competitors. They're growing very rapidly. Uh, in an economy with all the, you know, the currency challenges and everything you mentioned around the world, it's it's just you know just just a, a, a tepid global economy. Uh, never mind the fact that the U.S. economy, which which is very important to Mexico, is doing rather well. So it's uh you know it's that it's the weakening peso, uh, the oil oil bust. You know, Mexico oil very important to the economy. There's just a lot going on and uh but by the way specifically the, the peso i've just sort of thrown out there but it was an 18 percent decline the second quarter this year compared to last year that that's that's uh that's a lot if you're an airlines so then sure enough the fuel savings that you would hope to have uh didn't really materialize in in the same kind of way that they did for some other airlines around the world fuel costs dropped just 12 uh, percent for aero mexico uh so you know the sort of rather minimal cost drop, uh, offsetting all of the, uh, the revenue pressures. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot to be excited about, uh, you know, most importantly of all, perhaps, uh, the pending, uh, joint venture with Delta. Uh, if you look around the world, um, those kinds of deals have, 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 uh, you know, helped most other airlines that have gotten into them, you know, just generally speaking, joint ventures have been, have been rather successful for a lot of carriers and joint ventures with Delta, especially, you know, just, just, uh, kind of good to be in, in in their fold uh by the way they also have a new uh, credit card partnership that's important if you look at the u.s carriers and i mean by no means is it going to have the same impact in mexico just because the, you know, the programs aren't as big but uh you get a new co-branded credit card deal that that can be some um some rather easy new revenue uh easy compared to most of the other ways you have to struggle to make money as an airline so uh, a lot not to be optimistic by for Air mexico but definitely a, a lot of challenges still
1: Okay, we took off two weeks for our annual summer holiday, and because of that, we're way behind on earnings season. So I'm going to bounce around, check in on a few more carriers, starting with El Al. The Israeli carrier posted a pretty good 9% operating margin.
0: Yeah, it's impressive. You know, they had a really good 2015.
1: Their, their shares, by the way, I remember
0: Bloomberg noting, uh, uh, you know, their, their their shares were up more than those of any other airline for 2015. And uh, yeah, just just just... You know, reasonably solid finances. Impressive, by the way, in the face of just all the a lot of new competition in Israel. It's just a more liberal regime than it once was uh, airline wise. And so uh, but yeah, then the, this year started the uh, first quarter a uh, little, little, little tough. You, you mentioned nine percent. Pretty, pretty impressive uh, in, in the face of of everything. It uh, you know in very recent times and this would be you know, even sort of beyond the second quarter more into the third quarter uh, you know when, when Turkish Airlines struggles as it's doing um, that that can actually be helpful for LL. Tur- Turkish Airlines are a very important competitor you know they they, they have a lot of service to Tel Aviv and comp- compete for uh, uh, connecting traffic that overlaps a lot with uh, with LL's network you know LL benefited from the fact that Kiev. Is, is no longer a connecting option for Aeroflot Aeroflot another carrier that sort of connects you know a lot, a lot of service to Tel Aviv a good way to get out and into uh, Tel Aviv on Aeroflot but if you're going to Kiev now uh, you're not doing an aeroflot because you know the very thing that happened in, in Ukraine I mentioned before the Easter shift and its impact on on the Mexican carriers um Passover this year exactly the opposite it, it was it was a, a second quarter event uh, and so for ll the fact that that it, this This year's second quarter had Passover and last year's mostly didn't uh, was was very helpful. So that sort of uh, inflated uh, the numbers. But, um, you know, a lot a lot of new competition, Uh, you know, Beijing flights from Hainan Airlines. That's a big, big flow these days. Uh, Chinese uh, tourists visiting Israel. Uh, United launching San Francisco to Tel Aviv. Uh, None of that is helpful. But look, I was optimistic about uh, Dreamliners that are coming in. Uh, you know, I mentioned those new routes, but Americans stopped Philly, Philadelphia to Tel Aviv. And um, so, you know, there are signs of hope, but you know, you're still talking about a relatively small airline uh, with, you know, it's not a part of a global alliance that that's you know, based in a country that has poor relations with most of the countries surrounding it you know, other challenges, hard, hard to imagine LL um, ever being among the world's profitability standouts. You got to give them credit for, uh, for for doing as well as they have done.
1: You mentioned Aeroflot. The airline posted a 10% operating margin, but that number alone tells you very little about the airline this time, doesn't it?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, look, it better be ma- making a good deal of money and yet losing it, right? But um, they get the overflight fees that foreign airlines pay when they fly over Russia. Uh, those fees go... To Aeroflot, you know, not, not just sort of in, into the Russian Treasury, and they are substantial. You take those out, and you're looking at a three percent margin. Now, even that is is uh, again one of those where you kind of have to give them credit in the face of, the, gosh, a currency that absolutely uh, uh, plummeted, you know, and, and thus among other things, you know, the, the local market people who just can't afford to fly overseas to the same extent that they once did uh so they've sort of reoriented themselves to a lot of uh domestic uh tourism some you know somebody you know somebody in moscow who might have once flown to turkey uh and who is now not doing so because of the because well for all kinds of reasons polit- political race relations between the countries for a while uh the security situation all that sort of stuff and the fact that uh you know the, the ruble collapsed you know well they might not now fly to sochi within russia and uh because Aeroflot is the, the strongest of the bunch in Russia, and you had other airlines either collapsing or, or at least uh, you know, downsizing. Aeroflot was very well positioned it did a good job uh, sort of capturing some of that demand. So, uh, you yeah, know, they've, they've had to um, do a lot of dancing um, uh, the, 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 to, to, to keep things uh, relatively stable, but they've done that. And, and this is an airline whose fundamentals, you know, for all the challenges uh, associated with being a Russian airline – uh, you know, Moscow has great geography for for some really important traffic flows between uh, Europe and Asia, and uh, you know it is an airline that is, you know, nowadays managed you know more professionally than than ever else during its history, and and so, you know, uh, for for all the for all the challenges, you have to be somewhat optimistic about Aeroflot's long-term future in the airline industry.
1: All right. One more. We talked about Goal last week, I believe. We talked about Azul and LATAM, but now Avianca recently reported a 4% operating margin. As with all the South American carriers, does the conversation need to start with Brazil?
0: Yes. Now, an important caveat uh, is that Avianca, there's an airline called Avianca Brazil, which is not uh, technically in terms of the finances of Avianca part of the same company uh, now there's common shareholdings the same you know the same money behind both of them but uh, when avianca the main avianca reports that doesn't include the domestic Brazil flying that's branded avianca but Avianca itself the main company does you know fly certainly uh, to and from Brazil and and uh, not to mention Venezuela you know not to mention Colombia and Peru important markets you know which themselves have, have you know, uh lower commodity prices weaker currencies and in some cases just kind of over capacity because everybody's kind of been reorienting their their uh they're flying to wherever is you know relatively healthy i mean look copa also had a huge venezuela business it too just kind of looking for okay well what do we do now so yeah they definitely challenged by by all of that so uh, yeah it's trying to do what it can um it's it uh, has a big new maintenance facility that it, Developed jointly with Lufthansa, Star Alliance partner. It's reorganized its management. It sort of created this new business unit to deal with all of its auxiliary businesses, especially its its loyalty plan, uh, which, and again, you know, we know, we all know how important those are. To airline finances, especially when, when times are bad, you know sometimes that can be the thing that that really keeps you in the black. It's it's managing. Uh, it's apparently looking though for for more capital. Uh, you know the rumors have been you know, Delta and United are perhaps both uh, interested in investing. We'll see if uh, if any of that happens. But um, you know it, it, it it's an airline that's had a, a pretty good recent history. When I say recent, you know over the past decade or so, uh, had its giant merger with Taka, which uh, you know seems to have gone rather well. Uh, but now yeah, it just, just, uh, faces the same kind of challenges that, uh, that even all of the other rather well-managed, uh, South American carriers,
1: the more broadly central and South American carriers have, have faced. All right. That leaves us out of time for this week, but we'll be back next week to continue catching up on the carriers we haven't covered. We'll get there. We're digging our way out in the airline weekly lounge.
0: What if we did a show where all I gave were one word answers?
1: That would be a short show.